likes a Mitch. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest has just about done everything in the game of NRL. He has won premierships, played state of origin, represented not one but two nations on the international level. He also represented country in the old city versus country game that used to be played during the season before state of origin. It was used as a way to select New South Wales representative players. He also had a 10-year first-grade career in the NRL, playing for not one but two clubs, that being the Melbourne Storm and the Canberra Raiders. My next guest played his junior rugby league with the Cooma Colts. He was a promising junior and was graded by St George Illawarra Dragons. My next guest made his first-grade debut in round one in 2005, scoring a try against the Newcastle Knights and Olympic Park. At the end of the season, he was named the Storm's Rookie of the Year before becoming Robbie Kearns' starting front row partner. He was a member of the Melbourne Storm to face the Brisbane Broncos in the 2006 Grand Final, losing 15-8. Next year, he went on to win his first premiership against Manly. He has been coached by some of the great coaches, including Craig Bellamy, Ricky Stewart, Tim Sheens, and more. His playing career spanned from 2005 to 2014, as mentioned, he's literally just about done it all as a player. After his retirement at the end of 2014, my next guest went into coaching. He went into coaching a reserve grade side at Canberra, eventually working his way up to be an assistant coach in first grade to the great Ricky Stewart. These days, you can find him up on the Gold Coast as an assistant coach to the great Des Hasler. He has also been an assistant coach to the great immortal himself, Mel Meninga. In addition to this, He's also been named to be part of the 2024 New South Wales Blues coaching squad by incoming coach Michael Madge Maguire. I also need to give a shout out to a former guest and a friend who has been on the show, Mr. Mike Stevenson. He's the one who put me in touch with my next guest. And if anyone's a Canberra fan, please check out the Green Machine podcast for the latest, latest Raiders news, fun facts and more. It is a great pleasure that I'd like to introduce Mr. Brett White. I hope you all can enjoy this uh, conversation. And um, hope you have as much fun listening as I have making it. Hope you enjoy. I'd like to introduce Mr. Brett White. Thanks for coming on today. How are you going? Good, mate. Good. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to the, the next uh, little chat. Yeah, so basically um, from the introduction that you haven't heard yet, I've just absolutely just got – I'll be going over sort of some of your achievements, you know, um, talking about highlighting moments of your career, and that'll be what today's about. So, But first yeah. things first, uh, how's your week going? How's preseason going? Everything looking good at the moment? Mate, it has been busy up here at the Gold Coast. It's, um, as they call it, Disneyland. So we've got <laughs> Des Hasler arrived here on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, and as everyone knows him, he's a mad scientist. And <laughs> um, getting first-hand look, insight into or, or look into um, what Disneyland's all about. So there's certainly been some, um, some big days and um, plenty of whiteboard discussions and um, lots of numbers. So... Really enjoying different way of doing things at the moment. Um, a lot different to other coaches I've worked under, uh, but really enjoying it. Uh, he's got a got a wonderful sense of humour, Des, and um, really enjoying it. Uh, the way things are going at the moment. Well, that's good. Yeah, and obviously he knows what he's doing. Premiership winning coach, and he's been around the traps for a while. So, you know, and Des, you you, you can trust a good friend of mine's a Titans fan. And he's He's interested to see how you've got there, and he 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 said to me the other day, he goes, "I wonder how Brimmer is going to go in the centres." So, <laughs> hopefully, with yeah. everything changing up, it's going to be awesome, an awesome season for you guys. Um, so, well, you know, first things first, good luck. I hope the year's awesome, and um, yeah, I hope it's going well so far. So, 
for those who are listeners will know that this story is about the sorry this podcast is about storytelling sorry i'm a bit nervous i've got to get my head together and yeah, um, right. so we're gonna talk a little bit about your career some highlights some awesome moments um some memorable moments but uh to sort of kick things off i like to have a bit of an ice breaking tool and the idea is to have a little bit of a wind wine silk and brett i was just wondering join me in having a quick bitchy with mitchy <laughs> a bitchy with Mitchy, mate. More, more than happy to. Yeah, let's let's go for it. <laughs> okay. Let's get it out on the table. Okay, so it can be anything, uh, anything you want, whether it's shit drivers or I don't know, a menu log that shit or whatever. I don't know, whatever it might be. I always let the guests go first if they want to, or if not, yep. I can to sort of kick things off. It's up to you. Would you like to go first? Oh yeah, happy to go first. Um, actually, um, since you brought up menu menu logs, yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm yeah. the sort of guy, right, I walk into a restaurant and I love food. Like I'll, I'll walk into a restaurant and the first thing I do is have a look around at all the other tables, all the other plates and see what looks good. All right, I, I like to, you know, what, what's a pick to go here and, you know, at this restaurant. So I yeah. like to look around. But when I don't go out, I don't get to go out for dinner very often. Some of those menus you get or on the menu log app, for instance, and you look at the picture of the food. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that looked unreal. But then you get it, and it's totally different. It's like the best example is like you, you go to Macca's, and and it looks unreal. The burger looks unreal on the on the sign out the front. You go in, you get it, and it looks like it's been thrown together from about yeah three meters away. You got some young kid throwing it into a bit of paper and half wrapping it up, and, and you get it, and it looks nothing like the picture. So my bitch is that if you're going to advertise it, it's got to look like. Yeah, or close to what the, the picture looks like. Like I, I'm buying that that burger in that picture, but I, I get something totally different. So that's uh, that's probably my actually. You know what? I've I've got another one too. So I'm sorry, go for it. This is what it's about. Now I'm on, now I'm on a roll. Um, I, I was just something just got got me there before before we jumped on this. I was just bought a brand new TV, right? So yeah, yeah, top quality TV. It's one of these smart TVs, which is great. You know, you, and you actually what you do is you download the apps and you, you watch TV through going into apps, right, which is great because you can watch the show you know, that you missed an hour ago or from the start or whatever. But gone are the days of sitting on the couch and, and uh, channel flicking. Like I love sitting on the couch and flicking through the channels until you find something you want to watch. But these new TVs, you've got to go in and out of apps. So you've got to go in and out of a thousand apps to try and find something to watch on TV. So that's my bitch for the day. Yeah, you're right though. Like they call them smart TVs, but you almost need a bloody uni degree to operate the bloody things. I just want to sit on the couch and flick channels and find something, you know, some weird you know, documentary on some ABC or SBS <laughs> or something that's interesting that, you know, and, and you might need to flick through, you know, might be 10 different channels, 15 different channels to find that. But I enjoy the flicking through it, not having to go in and out of the apps. Yeah, you're like me. You were, I was a kid of um, channel flicking as well, like trying to show the old man how to sign into like Netflix and stuff on his new TV. Oh, took me fucking ages. But... <laughs> <laughs> so that's my bitch, mate. What, what's yours? You, you have one? You got one? Um, well, I'll keep it on the theme of menu log. Um, talking about like when you order shit and it doesn't look like it. Also, another thing too is places that get your order wrong. Like for context, I'm a fat bastard and I love I love, I love a, ch- a sneaky chicken burger or something. And last week I just got a just a burger chips and a Coke. Rocks up, 
the burger's wrong. There's no chips and it's not even a can of Coke. It's like, fuck's sake, like, how hard is it? And you can't ring the place because, you know, the, the number won't answer and it's like it just becomes a pain in the ass. So you, you get through it and you feel like a whinge and bust going, well, this isn't my order. So you, you hop on the app and you go, you give them feedback and you might get a menu log voucher. But very, very first world problem. But that's one of mine too. It can be frustrating. You just, you come out, I'm in the mine. So, you know, you do a 12-hour shift. And yet you're thinking all day of like a, I don't know, like your favorite burger joint. I live here in Orange and I've become yep. a big fan of, there's a place called Racy Burger and their Southern Fried Chicken Burger is fucking amazing. Oh, <laughs> and all you want is that, all you want is that burger that you've thought about all day and you want your 600 mil Coke and that, yeah, and, and if it doesn't come. See, I'm the sort of guy at a restaurant, if, it, if they don't get the meal right, I can't, I can't say anything. Like, I I, I can't go, oh, this is wrong. I just put up with it. I know that sounds really funny because you know, I built a career out of you know, confrontation and, and whatnot. <laughs> but but yet if I get the meal wrong at a restaurant, I'm like, oh, okay, I just probably won't go back there. But I can't even, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just one of those things that I'm, I'm one of those people that just uh, can't can't put a complaint in about you know, the wrong meal. But it would it would make me uh, pretty annoyed if uh, Menu Log rocked up with the wrong or missing yeah. missing the six hundred mil coke that you've been thinking about all day. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm the same. I'm polite. I'll just get through it and then just yeah, make sure either don't go there or order something different next time. So that's fair enough. So thanks for thanks for that. Like at, I also do this to sort of help myself calm the nerves and have a bit of a, a bitch because who doesn't love a good bitch on a Wednesday evening? Vent, <laughs> uh, get it all out, and then you'll uh, <laughs> then you'll get into the flow state. That's it. So, so for those who might be new that might be listening, the idea of this show is to get the guest on. It's just a, a lighthearted chat about, you know, people's careers or some of their habits or so interests, not habits rather. I should word that better. And with Brett, so I was going to do it like a timeline, sort of how you got started out, um, how you got scouted for the NRL, so moments in your career and during your coaching transition and some of the moments associated with that. But one of the first things I like to ask every guest was take yourself back to when you're a young fella, as early as you can remember. Do you remember one of the first things that you were ever a fan of? It could be sport, movies, TV show, it could be anything. What was your first ever fandom? Um, actually, when, when you say that, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind is a movie called Eight Seconds. Now, I've never seen it. You, come on now. You've never seen Eight Seconds. You've got homework to do tonight. Okay. Eight, eight seconds is about a world champion bull rider, Lane Frost. And the main character was played by Luke Perry. Now, this was around the times when just after Luke Perry was in 9102, the, the TV series. I might have got the numbers wrong there, but <laughs> really popular TV show back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, then Luke the, Perry. The like Beverly yeah. Hills kind of show, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then he went on to play um, – uh, Lane Frost, the champion bull rider, in eight seconds, and um, and I was a, I grew up in the country um, and and loved loved rodeo growing up, so bull riding and all that. So when they made a movie about it, and uh, and Luke Perry was playing, that's one of my first memories of. So I guess that's a, a you know combination of both sport and movies, but um, one of my youngest memories of uh, something I remember as a kid. Yeah, awesome, my. I um I grew up sort of in the nineties. I was born in late eighties, early nineties, and I remember like watching shows like Dragon Ball Z and or animes sort of ninety two, ninety three. And I guess 
if my, you know, if, if I were to recall an eight-second movie, it would be certainly something of a different genre. But anyways, <laughs> <it's all good. laughs> um, you've got to watch it, but you got to go and watch eight seconds. Right, yeah. Well, um, it's on the list now. I'll just make a note on my phone. Um, so talking about growing up, sort of in the country, I uh, grew up in a little in a place called Kuma. Is that right near Canberra? Yeah, I actually grew up in a um, little town called Berrydale, but I spent most of my time in Jindabyne in the Snowy Mountains. Yep. Of New South Wales and um, had to go to school in Akuma. Um, played my footy in Akuma. So it was about a 40 minute bus ride um, into Akuma every day. So um, yeah, that, that's sort of, I guess, where I grew up. Yeah. So growing up, what was it like growing up in sort of a, a relatively cold part of the world? I would imagine it'd be freezing down that way. It was fantastic. Uh, it was <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. We, um, I, we used to go up um, snow skiing as a school sport on a uh, on a Wednesday. Uh, so you know, go up skiing, uh, ski you know, on the weekends, play footy on the weekends. Um, yeah, my childhood, as I remember my childhood, I was always doing sports of some kind, whether it was riding a horse or, or playing football, water skiing, snow skiing. Um, a very, very much a lot of, um, I guess, activities to do. Um, Great place to grow up. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Oh, that's cool. So playing footy for the Kuma Colts. Uh, so how old were you when you sort of started to get noticed by scouts and how did you find your way into the NRL? Yeah, I didn't – I um, probably didn't really get noticed by scouts at all. It isn't that um, – probably wasn't that fairy tale story of you know, being seen by a scout and, and recruited to a, a club. I um, – I was in the um, – so the Kuma Colts played in the Canberra comp. Um, so I played in that comp and uh, made the uh, SG ball – yeah, Canberra Raiders SG ball um, train on side. Um, done a couple of months training there and actually left school and got an apprenticeship in Sydney. So just left left footy. Um yeah, I didn't really think of it as a as a career um, pathway. Uh, so went to Sydney as an apprentice plumber. Moved up to Sydney. Didn't really know anyone up there um, except for the guy I was I was working for and living with. And I was only just sixteen uh, when I moved up there. So joined the local footy team up there, Hurstville United, just to um, try and get to know some people and, and meet some people. So again, footy for me at that age wasn't about trying to make a career out of it. It was more about just getting to know some people, um, the community side of things and and having some mates. So just started playing for Hurstville United, who was in the St. George um, competition, uh, area and, and their juniors, I guess. Um, and again, just playing through there, got us to come and troll out for St. George Dragons, SG Ball, made that team. Um, played two years for the, the Dragons SG ball and then um, that just sort of then I, I flowed through there to uh, under 20s two years and then reserve grade two years um, so I spent six years at the Dragons um, just sort of coming through their grades and then it probably wasn't until then I, I couldn't get a start at the Dragons um, I had I think three international front rowers in, in front of me at the time when I was in reserve grade. I I'd had a number of injuries, um, quite quite bad injuries over that two years in, in reserve grade. Um, 
didn't really think I was ever going to make it, I guess. And um, one day, lucky enough, had a phone call from um, Craig Bellamy. Um, and I was lucky that one of the coaches at the Dragons uh, at the time had got a, got a job as a recruitment officer down at, at Melbourne, um, who was a great Peter O'Sullivan. Um, anyone in rugby league would know Peter O'Sullivan. And he was working for Melbourne and, and um, obviously had a conversation with Craig Bellamy, the Melbourne coach at the time, um, or still is currently. And he rung up and pretty much said to me, um, if you're willing to come down here and work hard, there's an opportunity to play NRL. And um, you know, being a, a country boy and, you know, I certainly, you know, one of my values was hard work and I, I know how to work hard. Um, I thought, you know what, if that's all it takes to get to the NRL, I'm, um, I'm jumping on a plane and going down there. So that was the end of 2004, jumped on a plane, moved to, moved to Melbourne and um, I guess, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, so you get down to Melbourne and I actually met Sean. Um, he's up at the – I think he's still at the Titans. I went – there was a documentary on Stan and before Magic Round last year, I went and had lunch there and I met him. Seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, uh, Sean O'Sullivan. Peter, Peter, Pete, Peter yeah, sorry, uh, Pete, oh, sorry. Peter, yeah. Well, uh, Sean, son, Sean was there son. too. Yeah, sorry, Sean yeah. was there too. He was yeah. injured and I met them both. Sorry. But he, they both like seemed like really nice guys. Um, so, yeah. so you hop on a plane, you get down to Melbourne, you do your preseason. And then you fast forward to your debut game against Newcastle. Can you take us through that day? Like, what was your sort of thought process leading up to it, and how did that like? Can you describe what the experience was like? Um, to be a hundred percent honest, I don't actually remember much of it. Um, and it's one thing I don't remember a lot, a lot of um, game days or, or during game. Um, yeah, over my career, I, I remember bits and pieces, uh, but I don't remember my debut too much. And I, I think it's purely that um, something that I didn't know at the time, but I've, I've, I've sort of studied and, and worked out later on that um, I, with the mental state and how I prepared myself, I was in what they'd call a flow state. Um, I was just present. Uh, probably wasn't taking a lot of information in. I was just in the moment doing what I had to do. And and, um, and unfortunately, you know, as a result of that, I, I probably didn't take a lot of information in from the day and, and can't remember a lot. Um, I do know that managed to score a try on debut and, um, you know, I certainly know I would have been uh, very proud and a special moment, but I actually can't recall a lot of that day. No, fair enough. You've had you had such a long spanning playing career, so you know hundreds of games under your belt. It's that that makes sense. Um, so that's understandable. And during your time down there, that first year, you went on to become the rookie of the year. So congratulations for that. Um, yeah, you, thank you. You're welcome. And you got to play with some amazing players like Robbie Kearns, Cam Smith, Cooper Cronk. Uh, during your time in Melbourne, for yourself personally. Who were some of the players that had a big influence you both on and off the field, do you reckon? Um, a lot of them. A lot of them um, I still do. Uh, they talk a lot about Melbourne um, you know, it's, as being one of the most successful sporting organisations um, in Australia, and, and that's true. Uh, they also talk a lot about why that is, the culture. And a lot, a lot comes back to a lot of people 
say that the culture was is off from Craig Bellamy, and that is true uh, to an extent. But I, I really do believe that there's some older guys down there, older players that are probably the, the who really set the culture up, and I guess are what you call you know cultural architects. Uh, they they really set the foundations down there, and they're guys like Robbie Kearns, um, Matt Geyer, um had a massive influence. Uh, Steve Kearney, um, he's another one down there. And these guys really, um, Peter Peter Robinson, who's, who's still in the welfare, who went as a player into the welfare department um, and still currently as staff down there. And, and these guys are um, genuinely the, the guys who set the culture up or or uphold the, the cultural values of the club. So, yeah, there's Craig Bellamy at the top, um, definitely, 100%. Don't want to take anything away from him, but there's some guys in around there um, who had a massive influence on probably not so much my football, um, but the sort of person it takes to become an NRL player um, and always looking to improve the uh, self before actual that footballer. Um, uh, yeah, really, uh, it's a club that really changed my life. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm, I'm only just a supporter of the game and, you know, if, as a as someone who barracks against another club against Melbourne, like you're sort of scared to see the talent coming out of there because you hear of stories that you know Melbourne has this next man up mentality, and one of the reasons they have been so successful is because of that. And players go down there, become amazing footballers in their own right, and just go on to do great things. So you know, it, to hear to hear that from someone who's been through the system is. Is, is nice to hear. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of rugby league and all sorts. And um, yeah, it just makes me even more proud to be a follower of the game. So, and, and um, as a supporter of the game, as mentioned, you see Bellamy's passion for the game in interviews. And of course, you know, the coaches blow ups and everything like that. But uh, what was your relationship like with Bellamy and what's it, what's he like as a person? Um, fantastic. He's uh like I said, he's had, he's had a massive influence on, um, like I said, my, not only my career, but uh, definitely as a person. Um, one thing rugby league really gave me was a father figure, um, and that's him. He, uh, I've I've never had <laughs> the funny thing is I've never had someone um, give me a spray like tear me apart uh, with words and and really put me in my place. Uh, as Craig Bellamy, he's well known for his sprays. Uh, I've had one of the biggest ones um, on me, but I've also had the most love um, from anyone. So I guess that's um, that's sort of you know I could I could sit here and and take up the whole hour on talking just about him and and yeah you know, the sort of person he is and the things he has done um, you know, for myself. Um, but uh, I. I I'd easily say, you know, there's, there's hundreds almost of other players that, that uh, would have similar stories about him. Yeah, 100%. You know, that's why he's oh, – I'm sure that's one of the reasons he's gone on to have such a successful coaching career, you know. Melbourne's done amazing things for a long time. So after you, you make your debut, you fast forward to the next season and you make it all the way to the grand final against Brisbane uh, and – you know, historically, for those of you who may not be familiar, Brisbane did win that game. And um, do you remember what, what it was like going into 
play a grand final for the first time in, you know, in one of your first few seasons of the NRL. And can you describe what it was like for you the first time you were on the biggest stage club footy has to offer? Uh, we we were honestly, um, yeah, we we're quite a young side going into that grand final, and <clears throat> we were, you know, it was like going to a, um, you know, little kids going to their first uh, rock concert. Yeah, you know, we we were going there starstruck and and yeah, you know, going wow, we're here. You know, this is amazing. This is awesome. Um, bright eyed, uh, bushy tailed. Um, yeah. You know, and I think back, like, it was a second year in, in the NRL as a front rower, starting in the front row. And uh, I look at that Brisbane Broncos side at the time, and, you know, it was Shane Webke's last game. Um, Shane Webke was a hero of mine growing up. You know, his, his front row partner, um, Petro Sinrasiva, another hero of mine growing up. Like, the, the two opposite front rowers were probably two of the, the biggest giants in the game and, and childhood heroes of mine. Uh, Tony Carroll... Um, uh, Dane Carlaw, they're just massive humans. They had like a really big, powerful, powerful side. So that's uh, probably the big thing I remember about it. Um, just being like this little kid, just in awe of not only the occasion, but who the opposition were as well. Um, it was just, it was one of those, yeah, little moments you sort of go, wow, like this is, this is such a big thing as, you know, that felt like not long ago. I was just this little kid watching these people on on TV, but now here I am. Yeah, just pinching yourself, going, "Holy shit, here we are!" That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, as just mentioned, unfortunately, it went down that game. It was a cracking game. I remember watching that. And uh, a year later, you go on to defeat Manly. Um, yep. What was what was it like, sort of getting to the big dance once again? And obviously you took it out, but what was it like the build up to that, and uh, the like? How, what was the feeling like after you guys won, or after you won your first premiership for yourself personally? Yeah, totally different. So um, 06 was uh, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kids going there and going, "Oh wow!" In awe of being there, um, and then you have the hurt of losing a grand final, and especially the closeness of it. So fast forward 12 months to 2007 when we come up against Manly, we we went there with a job to do. Uh, very determined. We'd, yeah, we weren't overawed by the the big stage anymore. We'd been there. We'd ha- had the hurt of losing. Um, and we were a very determined team that um, was hell-bent on winning it. And... Uh, that was probably really one of the greatest moments of the career to win that win that grand final. Um, that feeling that and you know, the, the the little things again that you dream of as a little boy. Um, that I've I've got a couple of photos that just uh, resonate so much with me as you know the after party being on stage and, and jumping off and crowd surfing and, and I've got a photo of that and that's something you always think as a little kid like that's a rock star sort of thing to do and something I always wanted to do. Uh, be there in that moment and do that. Another one was lifting the trophy up with one arm um, above my head in front of the crowd. And uh, that was something else got to do that day. I don't, I don't know why that was. You know, maybe somewhere along the line I'd heard, heard how heavy the, uh, the the NRL trophy is and it's hard to lift up. But you know, imagine being able to lift that up one with one arm. Um, so it was um, two little special things that I'll take away from that day that um, – really got to do is you know something that you know, always been in the back of the mind and, and probably one of those 
driving things, um, you know, to get you through the tough days um, is, is when I really got to achieve that and, and I've still got those photos. Yeah, awesome. And um, just as I was doing my research, it, you know, took took me back to watching back to back to back. Like you, it was almost, what it was almost expected from is that you were going to make the grand final because it wasn't like five or six in a row that you've made. Yeah, four, crazy. four, yeah, four in a row. So um, it's funny how they they go. You know, like I, I spoke about 06, the kids, 07, the ter- determination we had going there. Um, 08, we come up against Manly again, who had beaten. Um, and it's funny they always say you got to lose one to win one. Well, that was for us. That was lose 06 into 07 for Manly. It was lose 07 and come back to play the same team in 08 and. Certainly, they certainly come to play that day. Uh, they beat us forty nil, so that was. Uh, you know, it's a big mental game, and you know, the way they they turned up with the, the drive and desire, um, you know, desire to to beat us that day, and and that showed on the scoreboard. Yeah, I think for memory, wasn't um, Cam Smith suspended the week before or something? For memory, I can't remember. Yeah, he was suspended uh, two weeks early in. in uh, the final. Um, we also were missing. I think Ryan Hoffman was the other one. Um, but yeah, as as anyone that knows rugby league knows how big a player Cam Smith was, and and what a big loss it was on the day. But that's not taking anything away from Manly because they were they were red hot at that time, and um, like I said, really determined. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. And you sound very humble, like you're paying homage to to those you know who deserve sort of recognition so no that's that's really nice to hear um and one question i've always sort of wondered about was uh you know from an outsider looking in was after the 08 premiership in 2009 and 10 uh, the premiership scandal um controversially the titles were stripped from the club due to salary cap scandals from your own perspective what was it like for yourself and the playing group like do you, what do you recall remembering and receiving that news? Like, what was it like at the club in your own yeah, sort of words? Mate, it was devastating. Um, like, like we just spoke about, four grand finals in a row, 06, 07, 08, 09. You know, um, ready to go back to back that in 2010. Um, unfortunately, um, April, 22nd of April, 2010, uh, we had the the news dropped, and pretty much we we went out to train um, out on the field to train, and the coach Craig Bellamy wasn't out there for the training session, which yeah straight away sort of sets off few alarm bells. We got a football manager come out during the training session and asked us all to go straight into the team meeting room and not talk to anyone on the way in. There's, there's some media there on the watching training and whatnot. Uh, straight away, you know, again, there's a bit of a, you know, you've got all your your warning signs in your head sort of going off, wondering what was going on and uh, walk into that team meeting room and have um, the head coach, Craig, walk in and, and deliver the news. And, you know, you've got to remember, like, uh, like as a footballer, you, you're just there to play. Um, train, play, that's all you care about. And uh, everything would work for, um, to have someone, I guess, take away on paper, uh, and and I guess put the stain on on that success is, uh, um, you know, that's that's probably no different to you know, if a, a a doctor that studied at uni for 
six years and, and has that taken away from them and for something someone else did. Um, uh, none of the players had any knowledge of what was going on. You know, most simple football is like, um, tell me how much I'm going to get per year. I'll sign the paperwork. Let me get on the training paddock and do what I do. Um, so it was tough, but it's still something that um, is hard to deal with. It's probably changed a lot of um, my outlook on a lot of things, which I you know, probably won't go into, but um, it it hurt a lot. Uh, we still have the, you know, we, we still have the memories and have the tattoos, the, 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 um, the photos, but to have that, that stain on that um, hurt, hurts a lot. Yeah, understandably. And thanks for being so open about that. I was, um, you know, as before we did this, I texted you to make sure that was all good to talk about. And I, I appreciate your openness. Um, obviously, as you said, it was, was a hard thing to recall. So I appreciate that. Now, after your time at Melbourne, you went on to Canberra. But before we, we jump into that chapter of your career, for those who may not be familiar, um, Brett had quite an illustrious representative footy career as well. So he played uh, before the the current iteration is the All-Stars game. Uh, there used to be a city versus country rep match. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the selectors would use that as sort of a stepping stone to help finalise their selections for origin. Um, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. It's back when the days of um, you play city country to make the New South Wales side. And uh, it was a genuine selection um, game and my 2007 I played for country against City and had a really good game and I think that was the catalyst for for making the, the New South Wales origin side that year it was off the back of the City country um, game and uh, something you used to love you know like being a country boy and getting getting to play for your area and, and the country was um, something I was always really proud of and, and yeah, they, they don't have those games anymore. I'd love to see it back. Um, I get I get why they don't and whatnot, but um, it was fantastic. It was that real, um, yeah, that that um, trial game, I guess, to, to make the Origin side. It was it was fantastic. Yeah, and I remember watching that game, and you just won. I think twelve ten for memory. Um, what was it like to actually receive that phone call? Like, was it completely out of the blue? Um, to get into the countryside. Yeah, um, yeah, to I, yeah to 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 first play city country. Yeah, I was actually lucky because um, Craig Bellamy, who was my coach at Melbourne at the time, was also the country origin coach. So, um, he, I, I still remember the phone call at, at Mel. Uh, sorry, there was a, a conversation with Craig at the Melbourne airport uh, early two thousand and six, uh, and it was a couple of weeks off the, the side being named and. Him saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to put you in this country origin uh, team." I, I remember that that conversation really clearly. So it was fantastic. Probably probably helped that I was um, one of one of Craig's loyal foot soldiers and someone he knew. Um, I fitted the way he wanted the games to be played, uh, and that he you know, could obviously trust me out out there. So I was uh, I was lucky in that sense that. Um, Probably, probably Craig looked after me a bit. Yeah, that's fair enough. And obviously, as you said, you had a good game and then you get a call to play the next level up. So you you get your origin debut as well. What was it like 
sort of putting on that sky blue jersey for the first time. Do you remember like your game and what that lead the lead up for that was? Yeah, I actually remember that that quite clearly. That um, yeah, Origin's such a big thing. It's a, the pinnacle of of rugby league. It's a it's a Super Bowl of rugby league. Um, the biggest biggest game of rugby league there is, and um, it's funny because I, I know at the time there's always a speculation that there was a chance I'd make the team. Um, and when they read out the team, they go from um, through the team from one um, right through all the numbers, and um, and they got to number eight. And I was actually on the phone to my to my manager at the time, and he was listening to them call the team out. And he said, "They said number eight, and he goes, "You're in, you're in." I went, "Oh wow!" Like starting in the front row uh, in the starting team for my first Origin, like. Oh my god! And then he went. Oh no, it's not you. I went, what? Um, they 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 read out Brent Kite, and he thought they said Brett White. Oh. And so he's told me I'm in. Then a second later, he's told me no, it wasn't me. It was the wrong name. And then they go um, number nine, Danny Madeiras. Number ten, Brett White. Um, so I was. Um, it, it was a bit of a moment where. You think you're in, and it's taken away, and then it's given back to you. So, uh, but it was awesome to get. Yeah, you know, like I, I still can't believe that you know, I, I was lucky enough to get thrown straight into the, the deep end, deep end as um, a starting front rower in, in the biggest game there is in rugby league. And there was a massive build up at the time. There was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd made some comments, uh, you know, earlier in the year about. Um, some of the Queensland players or whatever, and, and they were taken the wrong way and, and built up as, you know, Brett White versus all of Queensland. And uh, so there was a bit of a, a build-up in that and um, probably gave them some, I guess, some motivation to come after me. Um, and uh, so the very first set of the game, they kick off, and I think I had maybe the second or third carry in the game, and and I, I I lined up Dallas Johnson, who was my Melbourne Storm teammate at the time. But yeah, I don't know if that's the smartest thing, as, as Dallas is one of the best tacklers to ever play our game. But uh, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm he's my teammate at Melbourne. He's in opposition here. I'm, I'm going to run straight at him. And uh, yeah, Dallas being a, a, a top gun uh, tackler, he he cut me in half. And uh, and as he hit me through, like through my stomach area, like the midsection, and it sort of folded me down. And uh, Tony Carroll come over with a swinging arm, and it got me straight across the nose. So the very first carry of Origin, my nose got you know, put across my face, and I remember laying there on the ground um, once I'd been tackled, thinking, "Oh my god, I've never been hit like that on a football field. Like this is a whole new level." And going right, I've got eighty minutes. How am I going to hide out here? Where, am I, where am I going to hide? I, I don't want to have another carry. Like I've just been smashed. But um, managed to get through it. Managed to get through the rest of that game um, with a pretty, pretty badly broken nose and and uh, a lot of blood. And I think it was still bleeding uh, a couple of hours after that game, after that debut game. So uh, that was my introduction into Origin, and um, yeah, I was, had some great memories. In that in that space in that arena in the Origin Arena, yeah, wow. It's like you, you often hear stories of Origin players saying, you know, it's it's next level. It's super competitive. So, in yourself somewhere, you did you have to find an extra gear to sort of 
to play at that level, do you think? Like, Origin seems like it would be the next level in all aspects of the game. Faster, bit bigger hits, more intense. Like, what were some of the, uh, I guess, fondest memories of player Origin and what did it teach you as a footballer? Yeah, I guess that, that, that was certainly one of my, the most clear memories and, and getting up from that off the ground, you know, you sort of pick yourself up and, um, just think, you know, I've got a, you know, this is something, again, I've dreamed about my whole life. This is like the greatest, you know, um, I've got to the top here. I've, I've got to, you know, I've got to perform. Like so many people, you know, I, I come from that small country area where you know, I was probably one of the first players from my my area to become an NRL player, let alone go on to play Origin. And, and I know how much my whole, um, not only town, but region, um, was behind but behind me that game. Um, certainly didn't want to let anyone down, didn't want to um, let any of my friends, family down, my area, who I was. Uh, so you just – you seem to – the adrenaline gets you through those big games. You just you – know, there's 90,000 people in the stands screaming. Uh, you can hardly hear a thing and and you, you basically basically go from there on, on, um, on adrenaline. Yeah, fair enough. And I suppose, yeah, like – even watching it, it's more intense, let alone playing it. Um, so you make – that was your first year in 07. You had a hell of a year in 07. You played Origin, you played Country, and you bloody won a premiership. That's the same year I finished high school. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also had my, my first son that year as well. So oh, there you a, go. It was a pretty, yeah, pretty special year, 07. That's, that's a hell of a year. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well, one of the uh, biggest, fondest memories or one of the most relatable memories I can – uh, think when I think of you, I think of this uh, 2009 game three. Uh, I think you come off the bench and you find yourself in the ruck with Steve Price. Ended up in a bit of a punch on. You got the better of me. Um, do you remember? Did he say something to you to rev you up, or what? In the heat of the moment, like sort of what what sort of started that? Do you remember? Uh, it's funny, you know. Like I, I played um, nearly 200 NRL games, eight Origins. Everyone always asks me about the the punch up with Steve Price. No one ever asked me about the trials. This try I scored in Origin, but uh, I, I get that everyone loves the loves that. Um, you know, that that's a I guess a piece of folklore in Origin history. It's um, yeah, I, I remember it as clear as it's. Um, there was a, a build up we got into camp that week, um, Game Three. Uh, we we couldn't. Obviously, win the series. We got beat in the first two games, and um, we got into camp. And the coaches had put together a, a, I guess, a video package of of all the small little grubby tactics Queensland had done, and um, yeah, little niggles and whatnot throughout the games. And they said, "Look, we need to put a stop to this. It needs to stop. We, we're not, we're not, you know, taking this anymore." Um, so there was a bit of pressure on there. And um, it was right near the end of the game and I just had a bit of a uh, – what I felt as a bit of a push or something. I didn't know who it was from in a tackle. Um, I got tackled, sort of got up to play the ball and felt someone sort of push me in. And straight away that um, that coach's meeting right at the start of the origin, um, the camp, it sort of like all come back to me. Was, this is the moment. This is it. You can't – you've got to stand up for yourself here. You, you can't. Um, back down from that. And so I got up and I sort of pushed and I, I didn't even know who it was, um, sort of pushed the player that, that had pushed me and uh, 
looked up and and Steve Price went bang bang and put a couple on my chin and I was like, oh my god, we're in, we're in a fight and and um, like I said, I I just got lucky that day. Uh, could have gone either way and and um, yeah and probably lucky for myself that I come off better off and uh, it, it is a part of you know like I said origin folklore. It's um, uh, it's a massive thing. It's it's it's. Yeah, you know, obviously taken out of our game now. You, you can't do that, and I, I understand why. And and to be honest, it's probably changed me as well in terms of um, you know, like how dangerous a punch can be. Like, you know, I'm lucky that nothing severe happened. And, um, Steve Price out of that incident, but um, you know, I also don't I, I don't like you know. I, I guess I sat here and, and I, I like to I, I could tell the story, but I also don't like it being glorified either um, in terms of. You know, there's plenty of people in our community that have um, have lost their lives through a punch, uh, one punch in- incidents. So it's also something I, I, I sort of get a bit caught as, as I know it's a, something that people like to hear the story of, but also I, I don't like it being glorified either. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's it's an important point you bring up, and I'm only just asking from the perspective of a fan. So thanks for highlighting that, and um, you know, I appreciate your your honesty and. Yeah, my next question is going to be: um, Can you take us through the moment of your try? Um, do you was it <laughs> take us through that moment? Because that'll be if you're ever going to score an Origin try, you want it to be the game-winning try to win a series in the corner or, or something special about it. I think yeah. we were down by I think we were down by like 20, 20 points, and there was like ten minutes to go, and I score this try, and it's like it's not even like not going to win us a game. It's just going to like reduce the margin between losing and uh, us losing. So it was like probably the worst moment to score an origin try. If you're ever going to score one, and I didn't score many tries. Like I, I think I, out of nearly 200 games, I think I scored five tries. It's uh, like I wasn't a try scoring sort of player. But I just, yeah, it would have been nice to have it in a moment where it won a game or won a series, but uh, it wasn't to be. Um, I'm very grateful for being able to, be out there for one and and, and have scored a try because uh, not many front rowers do. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. And um, look, I won't ask you to sort of compare club footy and rep footy, but what are some of the biggest differences do you find that let you found? Oh, it's it's, it, it's a speed. It, it's uh, the intensity. Um, yeah, like we've got even now like the 17 NRL teams and, and pretty much the, the the best um, two teams get picked out of 17. Um, it's probably a little bit different now with, um, you know, there's a lot of our players are, are Polynesian and don't aren't eligible for, for origin. Um, so it probably reduces that a little bit, but essentially it's, it's a, the, the best players in, in our game um, across our, our competition, which is 17 teams. So um it's a it's a leap. It's the best of the best, and it's um you know it's certainly a spectacle for for the fans. Yeah, fair enough, and um yeah, that's a fair point. As well as uh, you were lucky enough to even make the next level up, the international level. So you uh you represented not one but two countries. Um, I think it was oh nine. You made your career for the Kangaroos. What was it like to receive that phone call? And what do you recall of your Australian debut? Yeah, that was awesome. Um, yeah, like I say, the, the origins, are, I guess, the pinnacle in terms of the biggest games in our game. But obviously, the honour of, of playing for your country is, is pretty special. Uh, and 09, 
actually lucky enough that it was a kangaroo tour. Uh, so we done a tour over uh, England and France for the four, was it four nations it was. Um, so got to make my debut in London uh, against the Kiwis, which was uh, yeah, very special. It's, yeah, I guess uh, one thing I would have liked to do is, is play for Australia on on um, Australian soil. So, I, yeah, I didn't get to do that, but I did get to go on that that tour, which was uh, an awesome, I think, six weeks. Um, yeah, traveling the world with with your teammates is a uh, pretty special, it's pretty pretty special time and and something I'll treasure. Any uh, any shenanigans happen on that six weeks? So, <laughs> plenty, plenty, <laughs> but. Uh, I probably won't. I'll uh, I'll save some guys. I won't go into those stories here. Fair enough. And um, as well as uh, I think it was in 2013, you were selected to represent the the Irish international team. What was what was that experience like? Yeah, that was awesome. So that come about. Uh, my grandfather was Irish um, and and a, a big supporter of of not only rugby league but. Um, myself as well. I was quite close to my grandfather. So uh, in the 2013 World Cup, uh, I, called, you know, I qualified for Ireland. So I put my hand up. I was sort of my own career was coming to an end. And um, Ireland being a, a second tier uh, country, so you know, not not a top tier country. They're not at the level of you know, Australia or New Zealand. So they, they need all the help they can get. And uh, so put my hand up to, to go and play for Ireland. It was one of the best rugby league experiences I've had. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, um, as you can imagine, a, a group of Irishmen and uh, as a football team, uh, there was plenty of singing and plenty of Guinness getting drunk. And uh, we were sitting on the bus on the way to games singing songs. And um, in our final game, actually, which was against Australia in, in Limerick, Ireland, um, we got absolutely pumped. Got smashed by Australia, and uh, you would have thought we'd won the grand final after the yeah in the sheds after the game, yeah you know, with all the singing and and uh, whatnot around yeah you know, really fun people so really enjoyed that um, that that time and uh, Ireland you know Ireland rugby league has a special place in my heart. I've actually got the Irish team motto uh, tattooed across my back. It's it's something that probably eighty you percent know, of the guys that play for Ireland get the tattoo. And it's it's a bit of a bit of a thing that if you play for Ireland, you get it. And uh, very proud to wear that um, tattooed across my back. Yeah, awesome. Sounds like like an awesome camaraderie for a from a you know a nation that's not primarily known for playing league. So that's awesome to hear. And um, so I, I sort of fast forwarded a bit there, but if we go back to I think it was uh, twenty eleven, uh, your time at Melbourne has come to an end, and. You end up playing for Canberra at the Raiders, or what made you choose to want to go to Canberra? Was it to be closer to where you grew up, or just wanted to try something new? Yeah, so I guess kind of going back to this period, this was after the um, salary cap uh, scandal in Melbourne, and and yeah, I never thought I'd leave Melbourne. I never thought I'd, I'd leave the Melbourne Storm as a club when I was a player there. But when the salary cap scandal hit, pretty much what what happened is they said that. Um, I think we're $1.5 million over the salary cap and they had to lose that value in players. Well, um, I probably wasn't going to make a big din in that money, but I, I, you know, I said it's probably the best thing. Um, you know, I was getting a bit older. I was getting the back end of my career that we had a couple of good young 
front rowers coming through and I thought it was the best thing for the Melbourne Storm that I'd be one of those players that um, put my hand up and um, and look for a new home. So sort of made that decision and um, I, I got a, a couple of offers. I got an offer from, I think it was the New, Ze- uh, new Zealand Warriors um, and also one from, from Canberra. And uh, growing up, being, you know, having grown up uh, in the Canberra region, I guess, not far from Canberra, I, I grew up as a, as a Raider supporter. So, I'll, yeah, if I was ever going to leave Melbourne, it was always going to be to the Raiders. And um, went up there and um, ended up having 12 years at the Raiders and, and an awesome time. So, um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that, my time there. Yeah, awesome. And um, what were some of the first things you noticed playing in a new environment, in a new club? Do you remember? Look, at, yeah, at the time, it was a, it was a difficult uh when I got there in 2011, it was a difficult period for for the Canberra Raiders. They they had um they had some cultural issues, I guess, from within the playing group. Um, I don't think it was a the greatest um, um, buy-in from the players at the time. The club has has always been and uh, will always be very strong uh, from the top, but unfortunately, yeah, we had a few incidents there. Um, and pretty much going from you know, the Melbourne Storm has been ultra professionals uh, going up to Canberra and, and into that that playing group, I guess was the the other end of the scale. So, and that was part of the reason I was brought up. The club was aware of that; they wanted to lead leaders in there, and I got brought up as a leader. Um, and I was, I was probably overwhelmed, to be honest, at the time when I got there. I, I didn't quite know how to handle. Um, the depths of, of of the situation at the time, uh, like I said, a challenging time. But I, I you know, forever grateful that I, you know, the Raiders kept me there for you know, the period that I was there, and I was able to see from 2011 right through to a grand final in 2019. Um, the the growth and development of the Canberra Raiders um, was was a wonderful journey to be a part of, and. And obviously, Ricky Stewart came in in 2014, um, and 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 really took the Canberra Raiders to you know, to where they got to. Um, he had a really clear vision when he came in of, of where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do and what it looked like. Um, and it was really easy for everyone to buy into that, and, and really grateful for that journey I had there. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, Ricky Stewart, very successful coach, you know, premiership winning coach, and was. You know, part of that dream like, elite Canberra Raiders side in the early nineties, and you know, if anyone bleeds green, it's him. And um, you know, obviously to this day, he's still coached there and has had a very successful time, consistent final appearances, grand final appearance, and yeah, like that's that's awesome to hear that you know there was onward an, up, an onward upward trajectory from that point. So, uh, twenty fourteen was your final year, and um, so. During this following year, did you start to think to yourself, oh, shit, what's next for me? What am I going to do? And obviously, as history has shown that you've gone into coaching, uh, what was it like sort of as you were coming to the end of your playing career? Like at the time, did you know what you were going to do? Was it always going to be coaching or what was going on in your, in your head during this time? No, I never wanted to be a coach. I, um, I used to see how much work Craig Bellamy would do um, when I was at Melbourne and I remember coming in one day early in the morning 
to a training session, got into the club at, at like really early. I don't know why it was in so early and, and walked past Craig's office and he was asleep on the couch. He'd been there all night and I remember thinking, no way would I want to be a coach. Like he's been at work all night. Like this is crazy. So when it come to the end of my career, I, I, I didn't think, well, I, I didn't want to be a coach. Um, I actually opened up a, um, a business um, the last, I think it was the last year of my playing, so around 2014, opened up a business, a, a food franchise, because um, I thought I wanted to go into business. Well, pretty soon I worked out that I didn't want to go into business. I didn't want to do food franchising. So uh, I, I realised that was a pretty tough job. Um 2014, I thought I, I would have liked to play one more year, but uh, one day Ricky Stewart and, and the CEO, Don Ferner, called me in for a meeting and, and pretty much sat down and, and said, we're not going to sign you for 2015 as a player, but we will offer you um, a full-time coaching role. And at the time, having the business, knowing that I didn't want to go into business and I was wanting to get out of of the, the business I was in, I thought, well, you know, I've got to take this role up until I work out what I do want to do. Um, so I tried to juggle juggle the business, sell sell the business, have a year of, of coaching and, and you know, sort of work out where I was going to go from there. And uh, pretty soon into my coaching career, got a real, um, I guess, understanding of, of the reward rewarding parts of coaching and, and helping young players develop and grow and, and get better. So um, sort of it got the, the coaching hooks got set early into, into me and, um, yeah, 10 years later I'm still doing it so and love it. So uh, it's, um, yeah, something I really enjoy in, in watching growth of, of players and, and you know not not only grow as footballers but you know especially when they grow and you know young young players that I've coached and they go on to have families and, and kids and and whatnot so it's it's a really rewarding um, job. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And was your first coaching role was it like SG Ball at Canberra or what was your first team that you took over? No, so the first year, 2015, I was, I was full-time um, and I, I was an assistant for the under-20s and, and helped out with the NRL. So basically my job was to be at the NRL training during the day, understand what the NRL players were doing, and then overnight go to the under-20s training, which was uh, the national youth comp at the time, the NYC, um, and pretty much – pass on what the NRL guys were doing onto the under-20s guys. So it all flowed throughout the club. And so it was a lot easier for those under-20 guys to then make the step up to NRL. So that was sort of my role 2015. 2016, I was then given the um, the under-20s head coaching role, which I'd done 2016, 2017, um, still being full-time again with that whole seeing what the NRL team does, make sure it flows through to the younger guys and, and they're pretty much they're prepared that when they do make the transition and the, the jump up to NRL that they're ready to go. Um, so that was uh, the first couple of years and then 2018 um, made the, the step up to as an NRL assistant coach, um, just solely NRL 
working NRL, and I, I, I'd done that actually my first year as an NRL assistant. I'd done the attack, um, which was uh, quite interesting for uh, you know. I guess a front rowers aren't always looked at as a, a attacking sort of um, coaches, but uh, I was lucky that you know Ricky Stewart at the time said, "Mate, if you ever want to be a head coach, you need to be across both sides of the game, defence and attack." So. You're going to start off with the tax side of things and learn that. Um, so really grateful for that. Really enjoyed that year. Um, yeah. So that was sort of, I guess, my coaching journey to the NRL. Yeah, cool. Um, obviously, it went from strength to strength. Uh, you guys appeared in a grand final in 2019 and um, you know had a pretty successful period during you know your time at Canberra. What are some of the um, sort of key differences do you think you've learned from coaching as opposed to like being a player, what are what are some of the key differences? Do you think? Um, yeah, probably massive. Like as a player, it was so easy. You know, you get told when to turn up, what play to run, when to when to train. Um, it's all pro- probably given to you. You, you just got to turn up and do. Um, I guess as a coach, you, there's a lot more thinking to it. Um, not only the tactical sides, but the uh, I think the interpersonal sides. You got to learn what what uh, motivates people. Um, you got to learn, I guess, what how others learn and take information in. And, and everyone's different. Everyone takes information in differently. So uh, what how to connect with players. Um, so that whole whole side of the things, the whole mental side of things is, is something I'm really interested in. I guess been a been a student of since I, I went into coaching. So um do a lot of studying around that area. And I guess the well the follow up question is some of the the hardships that you've had to face your time as a coach so far. Like what are some obstacles that you've had to overcome? Um I think they're they're a day to day thing actually. They're um you know, you, you you're always got challenges. You're it's a high pressure environment. It's you know, it's results driven. Um, it's you know, you are under pressure. You you know, scrutinised uh, weekly. Um, yeah, it's yeah. But uh, but I think the thing is, most of the you know, most of the coaches I know, yeah, they work in high pressure environments and they're high performers and they. They get criticised a lot, but I think, especially for me, the, the the hardest critic is myself, and always will be, um, and what my expectations of myself. So, yeah, while the pressure from the outside um, can get really intense, my internal pressure is greater. So um, that's I, I think something. Um, yeah, the way I I see it in terms of handling the outside noise and pressure. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough, and you know that that professionalism, that determination to keep wanting to be better and going further, like I, it's understandable that you know that's the mentality behind it, like because you know you want to win every week, you want to see players succeed and stay healthy, and you know come up with good plays and whatever. It'd be very stressful. Um, so you spent a few years at Canberra, and then as a last the start of last season, you got the opportunity to go up and take up an assistant role at the Titans. Uh, how's that process? Uh, sorry, how's that experience been so far, and how did that opportunity come about? Um, 
yeah, to be honest, it's been a challenge. It's, um, yeah, I come up here last year and um, halfway through the year, they, they stacked the coach. Um, so that was a, a challenging year. Um, obviously, Des is the new coach. Des Hazlitt being the new coach has just come in um, and basically learning his style of what he, how he likes to, or how he sees the game and, and, you know, trying to work out what he needs and, and wants. So, um, like I said earlier, totally different to anything I've, I've been involved in before and, and which is, which is great for my, I believe great for my development as seeing how other people, um, do things and operate uh, the way they look at the game. Uh, so I've, I've you know, learned a lot, um, from that. And um, hopefully, you know, we haven't played a game yet. So we're all, everyone, every team's confident at the moment. We haven't lost a game all year. The, the comp hasn't started yet. We've got a trial <laughs> next weekend. So um, yep. we'll uh, hopefully, we'll, uh, things will look up from, uh, for us this, this season. Yeah, well, um, got exciting sort of squad. You know, you get some great players coming back, like Bo Fumor, um, whether how he fits in the side or what have you. And, you know, some positional changes, like as we mentioned before, you got Brumo going in the centres, and you know, it, it, it trials are a time where you can see what might work, what might not work, and sort of build from there, I guess. Um, so also uh, during your coaching time, uh, like as a player, you've had a chance to coach in the representative arena, uh, working with greats like the great Mal Meninga. Um, what was it like? Been a, a part of the coaching staff for the national kangaroo side. How was that experience? Absolutely amazing, awesome. Um, yeah, to get a phone call from Mal Meninga, who's who's uh, an immortal of our game, and for those you know those listeners that aren't aware of, of rugby league, there's there's only thirteen immortals in our game, and Mal Meninga is one of those. And he coaches the Australian side, so to get a phone call from him one day and. And asked me to come on board as part of his coaching staff was um, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. So um, we had the the um, Pacific Nations at the end of 2023, and uh, outside of the final game, the last thirty, uh, last eighty minutes, sorry, it was an amazing um, tournament. Uh, really enjoyed it. Love working with those, you know, the Australian, the players, those high level. Uh, guys that play for Australia and and the you know the coaches high level of coaching and whatnot uh, the way Mao does things I you know, took so much away from that um, you know that I'll take with me for you know, the rest of my coaching journey uh, there's some some wonderful takeaways there it was um, really enjoyable experience yeah and you know I would imagine you would have learned, learned a lot so for those of you who may not follow the game um, Mal Meninga was yeah like as Brett said, one of the greatest to ever put on a jersey, won many premierships. Uh, he coached the Queensland Origin side to a, a boatload of uh, series wins. He's um, been a very successful coach of the Australian side as well. And um, I'm sure you've learned many lessons and have made many memorable moments yet to come. Uh, and also, I recently saw that uh, you getting a, a chance to step in back into the New South Wales camp, um, getting the call up from the great Madge McGuire. Um, so how are you, oh, so first things first, what are some of the things you're looking forward to is to going back into, into Sky Blue camp? Oh, I'm really excited about this one. Um, 
Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to work with uh, Michael Maguire. He was an assistant coach at Melbourne when I was there. So again, a lot of my philosophies around rugby league, are, are, I guess, off the back of how things were done at Melbourne. Um, I'm sure they're still done that way, you know, to the current day. But when we were back there, Madge was a part of that. So we have a lot of similar uh, views on on the game and and you know what success looks like and, and how to get it. And so I was really excited to be a part of you know to be Madge's um, assistant going in for a new look, uh, New South Wales Origin coaching staff um, this year. There's been a big change and. There's a, there's a lot of work to do and, and to try and turn it around. I think you know, Queensland have won 18, uh, sorry, 14 of the last 18 games in the origin space. Uh, so we certainly got to ch- change some of those stats. Um, and it's, it's not always about the results. It's, it's probably, you know, again, going back to that, that cultural thing of, of you know, changing the, what it looks like as a, an origin um, player and, and to be a part of that. Yeah, I, and I, I, I forgot to say, but congratulations on the appointment. That's unreal. I, as a Blues fan, you know, I, I'm, I'm confident this year. Like, and I'm looking forward to seeing what, what you know, the, the Blues side is going to uh, achieve. And you know, ex- Origin's always great. It's a great watch. And yeah, I hope that when it comes time for selection, all the players that you want to fit and fire and healthy, and you're able to stick it to those maroon fellas, um, and also. I know this has all been about business and, you know, I do apologise about that. But for you as yourself, what are some of the things you like to do outside of the game? Like what are some of your hobbies in your spare time? Um, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a workaholic. I um, I do a little bit of um, uh, consultancy work for in the corporate space. Um, I know that doesn't sound like a hobby, but, yeah, being I'm passionate about the, the mental side of the game and, and leadership and things like that. So I, I like to do work around the corporate space with with that. Um, I find that takes me away from football and and um, I know it sounds funny. You know, how do you get away from work? You go and find another job, or um, <laughs> that's something I do. I, I also I think my little outlet uh, you know, during the week and whatnot. I, I'm, um, I like to train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's probably my, my hobby, I guess, as you call it. And my, my little time out through the week is, is getting to, to the gym and, um, and doing a bit of that. So, uh, yeah, for those that don't know, it's a, it's a martial art and, and, you know, it's a, the gentle martial art, I, I guess. Um, but really enjoy that. That's cool. Yeah. I, I have a few friends that do it and a friend of mine that says it's the martial art that's, you know, you're never the one to throw the first punch, but you're always, you know, ready in case that does happen. So it's, you know, it's, that's good to hear. Um, and, you know, for someone who has made a career out of footy for multiple decades, I suppose it just an off the cuff sort of question, but it's probably like an important thing to have a way to sort of refocus and, you know, sort of take yourself away from something that's a massive part of your life. Would you agree in saying that it's good to have, interest outside of you of how you make a living yeah one 100 like that's um yeah that's something we, we talk to the players a lot about is, is that that you know to perform at a high level you've got to be able to switch on but more importantly you've got to be able to switch off um and and finding something that that allows you to switch off from you know what what you do day to day and and that's certainly um yeah you know, 
when I'm on the mats uh, at a jiu-jitsu class that, yeah, if I, I sit there and think about my work, you're probably going to get choked unconscious. So, yeah, it, you have to have full focus while I'm there and, and that allows me to switch off from uh, from my, my coaching and whatnot. So um, it's a really important part of, um, yeah, the high-performance high space. Yeah, no, fair enough. And also I've got to give a shout-out to Mike Stevenson. He, he set this up, so... Thank you for, for setting that up, Steve. You're a bloody champion. Um and a very good jiu-jitsu artist. Yeah, just got his black belt, I think he said. So that's congratulations yeah. to that too. That's that's unreal. He's a, he's he, a machine. He's <laughs> he's a weapon and I and I'm constantly reminded he could absolutely tear me into ribbons if need be. So <laughs> but I still give him <laughs> shit. I and upon my research, I found an article. It was printed last year and it was titled Former NRL star Brett White hailed a hero after saving a woman from an alleged surface paradise attack. Um, what happened here? Um, yeah, pretty horrible. Yeah. Uh, was, when I first moved up to the Gold Coast, I was, I was living um, at the back of surface and uh, we had a number of incidents. Um, a lot of it was, we were living across the road from a, a park where there was quite a lot of, you know, quite often the, the backpackers would get down there and, and chuck parties and whatnot. Um, had a number of incidents down there, uh, but one night an incident with a with a girl and um, I was woken by a, by a car doing burnout out the front and it was about 12.30 at night, I think, and uh, jumped up out of bed, looked out the window and um, the car took off up the road and I looked across into the park and I could see just a, silhouette of someone uh, sitting there at a, a park bench. Um, didn't think too much of it. Went back to bed and about five minutes later, heard the car come flying back and the brakes lock up. So I jumped out of bed again, looked out the window, saw someone get out of the car, walk across to the park bench and grab this person that was sitting there. And I heard the, the scream, you know, that horrible scream of a the, of the female um, which you know, still sends shivers down my spine. That the sound that she made at the time as as um, this um, the, the guy grabbed her by pretty much by the hair and pulled her backwards uh, across the ground. And so straight away, I've gone into yeah that reaction. Um, woke my wife to ring triple O. Um, and run downstairs and run across, you know, run across the park, across the road, across to the park, and uh, had no idea what I was I was running into, and pretty much come up to him at you know it was pretty horrible what was going on, and, and you know I got hold of him and, and pretty much contained him for for eight minutes um, while the police police come, and uh, yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a nice incident, and uh, I, I'd hate to. Think of what the outcome would have been if uh, if there was no one there. Yeah, wow. Um, I'm getting goosebumps listening to that. Well, first and foremost, thank you for helping out that lady. And um, that kind of behaviour is never okay. And if this is triggering anyone, I'll support. I'll give some links to some support services you can call that are free. If, you know, if this is triggering any memories or or experiences. But yeah, I I I. No, I can speak from anyone. I say thank you for looking out for her and thank you for the many years of dedication to the great game of league. But as a player and a coach, you've given so much to the game and, you know, had you've, you've almost done everything in the game. Um, 
winning titles, playing Origin, playing for two countries, you know, uh, coaching at all levels. It's it's quite an impressive uh, career you've had thus far. And um, before we close out, I could speak to you for hours, but, you know, maybe another time we'll be able to do another episode. But before we close out, I uh, just wanted to ask you, is there anything that you'd like to say to those who might be listening that might have been a fan of yours over the years? Is there anything that you'd like to say to those that have helped you along the way? No, I'm, I'm yeah, like I'm just a small, small town country boy that uh, got to achieve his dream. Um, yeah, you know, I'm still a human. I'm just a normal person. I just got to do what I always wanted to do. And um, you now I, I think for anyone, it's achievable. For any young young players out there that are um, you know wanting to achieve their dreams, um, yeah. I didn't do I didn't do anything I've done in my career off the back of talent. Uh, it was hard work. It was resilience, uh, persistent. I just stuck at it, and yeah, been lucky enough. The game of rugby leagues give me give me everything I have uh, have today, and very grateful for it. Now you sound like an extremely humble human, and um, I appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, as I said, I could speak to you for hours, but I've got to shoot off. We've got to get up with work at three in the morning. So I'll um <laughs> I'll say thank you very much. This was awesome. And um yeah, I hope I hope that you have a have a good year. And I hope that the Titans are able to do well this year. And I hope that the that Desi comes up and his style of coaching suits what you're trying to achieve. And yeah, all the best for the year. And, and I, no, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on, Mitch. It's uh been an enjoyable chat and all the best with your podcast going forward thanks mate and uh, if you're still listening this point thanks for listening and i'll see you in the next one bye for now